welcome, folks, to Death, Lies, and Alibis. I'm your host, Christy, and today we're diving more into the haunting case that unfolded right here in our town, Sainsville, Ohio. Now, it revolves around the tragic murder of Kylie Lindell. Who's tr- what's truly chilling about this case is a shocking number of people involved in the cover-up. Can you believe 24 individuals were implicated in hiding what really happened? So please go back and listen to the first two episodes of this three-part series. First, a shed of secrets, which explains Ashley Johnson's murder, and then listen to Sinister Shadows, which features Kylie's murder, and we talk about how the two cases are intertwined. So in this episode, we get an in-depth look at the betrayal of the people who were supposed to have Kylie's back, but instead became a part of the morbid cover-up. So, I'll real quick and briefly start out by getting us up to speed on this heart-wrenching detail surrounding this crime. Kylie Lindell, a 44-year-old woman, was brutally murdered in a trap house on a fateful night, March 31, 2018. The impact of this tragedy spread like wildfire through our entire community. Now, according to authorities, the primary suspect in Kylie's murder right away was Ryan Adams, who's a known self-appointed leader of the Roll Riders gang. The motive behind this horrific act was believed to be as trivial as $50. Adams pulled out a gun, aimed it at Kylie, and ended her life with a single fatal shot to her head. But the more we uncovered about this case, the clearer it became that there's so much more to this story. Each of the participants had a unique role to play in hiding the truth, making sure that justice remained just out of reach for Kylie and her devastated family. How did so many people become entangled in this web of lies? What drove them to risk everything to protect a single man? Well, in this episode, we painstakingly examine the details of each individual's involvement in Kylie's murder and the subsequent cover-up. We'll explore the actions they took and the legal repercussions they faced as a result. However, our investigation doesn't stop at just one killing. We're committed to seeking justice for Ashley Johnson as well. Now, Ashley was the same part of the same social circle as Kylie and was also linked to drugs and criminal activities. So, it's alleged that these lives became eerily intertwined even in death. In this final episode of our three-part series on the murder of Ashley Johnson and Kylie Lindell, we will shine a spotlight on those who were involved in covering up Kylie's tragic death because there is a huge growing belief among both families and our community, that these individuals process knowledge about Ashley's murder. What about the individuals still in prison? Well, we decided to explore any disciplinary actions they faced during their time behind bars. Some of them are set to return to our community within the next couple of years. So yeah, it's crucial to know who will be returning among us. To gain a better understanding of the parole system and the resources available to aid when they do in their rehabilitation, when they do come out, we spoke with a court official. Now, that interview will be on our Facebook group. It's important to provide the necessary support and assistance from local agencies, but ultimately, we 
all know the responsibility to no longer pose a threat lies in the hands of these individuals. Are they willing to accept the help offered and change their lives? Well, that's on them. So, to start out, let's shine a light on those individuals who received shorter sentences in connection to this case first. Then we'll end with Adams himself. Now, trust me, gathering these names was no easy task. These individuals lead dangerous lives. They make they move around a lot, and that makes it a challenge to track them down. But I've tried my best, and I'm here to shed the light on the involvement in the case with their case, their involvement in this case, and what they're up to now. So, first up is Rebecca Reedy, a witness to the chilling murder, who was present at the Ridge Avenue trap house when Adams brutally ended Kylie's life. While not being a central figure, so to speak, in the crime, Reedy's involvement is no less bone-chilling. In fact, she went so far as to create a fake Facebook profile for Kylie. Yes, she's the one, causing unimaginable anguish to her grieving family. But it doesn't stop there. Reedy shockingly participated in cleaning up the murder scene. The extent of her cover-up is truly disturbing. A look into her criminal background shows no activity before or since. So what could have driven someone like Reedy to commit such a heinous act? Well, allegation of surface suggesting her involvement with a female gang known as, quote, the Savages, supposedly formed by Adams. Now, this is, they think they're big and bad called Savages, and it was a offset of what happened. I mean, they're, what happened to Kylie? How can they continue doing that? How can they... Re- and, and they're represented... It's, it's a modern-day enslavement of women is what it is. And allegedly, they are here and they're represented. But that just adds another layer of darkness to their criminal deeds, right? That's why we're doing this. So, if you guys have any more information, please contact us. Information will be how to contact us will be at the end of this episode. So now, let's shift our attention to James Searles. Though not convicted, Searles found himself in the same car as Adams and Dunkel on that fateful night. Little did he know his, his unexpected presence would place him in the center of the shocking case. So, as we dive deeper into his criminal record, we discovered a sa- staggering 34 charges. This is not in this case, this is just in his overall criminal record. This paints a picture of a man who's no stranger to trouble. And it just lets me speculate about his true involvement in this disturbing crime. I found him on Facebook, but he denied it was him, and he refused to talk to me any further. So, let's turn our attention to Bottom McQuarrie, a woman whose connection to this disturbing case has left us with more questions than answers. Now, despite the lack of evidence linking McQuarrie to the murder... Her proximity to the main suspect, Adams, well, that raises eyebrows in this case because as Adams and Edmondson ventured McCreary's residence as they're on 317 Brighton Boulevard right after the murder, right after the cops left, and right after they could get out of that house, they went to McCreary's. So what, you know, can't, I can't help but wonder what secrets does she hold. So... Before this, she didn't really have much of a criminal record, busted for some drugs. Um, so, it just, you know, what is her crucial involvement in this? 
while I was preparing for my recording, I went back and did another look and another research on McCrary. And I came across an article that read McCrary had recently received a prison sentence of four to six years in ORW. That's Ohio Reformatory for Women. Unbelievably, her charges include engaging in corrupt acts, permitting drug abuse, and money laundering. Now, those are not just misdemeanor offenses, folks. So, we dove into this to see what was going down with this. Um, and the connection is of arrest of Victoria Baranitos, uh, age 26, and her boyfriend, D'Angelo, quote, D'Lo, Tillis, who uh, he's serving 15 to 19 year sent and a half sentence for running a drug operation. And she just got sentenced, I think, to 20 plus years. So, and here, yeah, here is McCreary knee-deep in that. And from our understanding that she got a lesser sentence because she was running her mouth. That's what we heard. Well, I won't go into the exhaustive details of this case here. I will share all the important information on our Facebook group. Additionally, I will explain how we have connected these individuals to members of the Real Riders, like we did with her, right? Well, it goes out, but we'll do that on the Facebook group page. And her name has been mentioned in the Justin Tipman murder case. Now, I find this very interesting. So, I wrote to McQuarrie. I wrote her a letter, and I'm curious to see if I get a response. I haven't received anything yet. So let's shift gears, and let's focus on another intriguing character in this horrible story. We introduce you to Veronica Bruce, a 34-year-old woman who was found herself facing a two-year community control sentence, and her sentence was for obstructing justice. But the plot thickens as we learn that Bruce was present at the scene immediately after the murder took place. Not only that, but she also aided in the cleanup of Kylie's murder. Now, to add another layer of intrigue to this, Bruce's mother played a huge role in disposing of the murder weapon. It becomes increasingly difficult to ignore the suspicions surrounding her involvement. However, as we dig deeper into Bruce's criminal record, we find that her past encounters with the law have been relatively minor, mostly just consisting of traffic violations. So as we continue down this rabbit hole of unanswered questions, we're just left wondering just how intertwined these individuals are in this web. So that's all we know about Veronica. So again, if you know anything else, please contact us. You can contact us through our email at deathliesalibis at gmail.com. We'll have that again for you at the end of the episode. So let's continue with Charles Kissinger. Now, Kissinger is a man whose actions left the community in shock. At the age of 58, Kissinger found himself sentenced to five years of community control for his deeply unsettling involvement in the abuse of a corpse. As the arrests unfold, chilling details emerged, shedding light on the nature of his crimes. It was revealed that Kissinger had allowed individuals to use his property. Now listen, just a mere 300 yards away from his trailer to bury the body of Kylie. The proximity of this morbid act was so close to his own living space, it only deepens the horror of this situation. How in the world could he be in that trailer? 
That's within yards of her dead body. What makes this case even more disheartening is the shocking motivation behind Kissinger's actions. He claimed it was drugs. It appears that he was willing to stoop to unimaginable depths in exchange for a supply of drugs. So this raises serious questions regarding not only his moral character, but also the extent of his involvement in this horrific crime. So we dove into Kissinger's past, and we found that he had a brush with the law before. However, previous charges not involved, they didn't involve any violence or any theft. So just, you know, questions this again, why take a dark and twisted path and do dark and twisted acts? Drugs, right? As we explore this case, we are left wondering about the effects of addiction and in the depths to which each individual and some individuals can sink in pursuit of their next fix. Because, you know what, it doesn't become a high anymore at that point. It's a, my fix is so I don't get sick, so I don't get dump, dump, dope sick. So let's delve into the case of Derek Weaver, known as the Tattoo Guy, that fateful night when Kylie was tragically murdered. While Weaver wasn't initially charged with any crimes at the time, his criminal background check revealed some troubling past misconduct. In 2018, he was involved in some passing some back checks and petty theft. But Weaver's trouble didn't stop there. Listen, only three months after the shocking murders of Ashley and Kylie, he found himself facing a harsh sentence of eight years in prison for aggravated vehicular homicide and other felonies. These charges stem from a hit-and-run accident on July 31, 2018. Weaver collided head-on with Kathy Cliffinger's car, and instead of staying at the scene, oh no, he chose to flee. It took three weeks for authorities to apprehend him. Weaver's defense rested on the claim that, oh well, he had fallen asleep at the wheel due to exhaustion from a long day at the hospital, where his daughter had been born dependent on drugs. So it's worth noting that both Weaver and his child's mother were under the influence during this time. Sad, so sad. However, the credibility of Weaver's story was cast into doubt as evidence of meth and other vehicle use were brought to light. These factors caused the judge to express skepticism regarding the truthfulness of Weaver's claims. Weaver is now in the Richmond Correctional Institution, where he expected to be uh, his expected release or parole eligibility date is August 16th of 2026. Moving on to another key player in this tragic incident, let's explore the story of Ashley Wiley. Ashley had actually rented the hotel room where Adams sought refuge while he was on the run. Sadly, before Adams could even face trial for his actions, Ashley Wiley met a heartbreaking end due to a drug overdose. We want to express our deepest sympathy to Ashley's loved ones. Now, at the time of the incident, we encounter a character named Jeff Seabock. This guy was just 19 years old and happened to be serving as, quote, doorman or guard to the house. But here's where things get interesting. Seabock found himself in hot water due to his involvement in this crime. The aftermath of the investigation led Seabock being slapped with a three-year prison sentence. What was his charges? Well, let me tell you. They included tampering with evidence, 
disrupting public service. Remember when they uh, messed up the fire hydrants so they couldn't put the arson fire out? Obstructing justice and possession of criminal tools. Quite a list, right? However, it is worth noting that despite digging in Seabock's criminal background, no significant prior offenses were unearthed. It seemed like his involvement in this crime may be, have been an unfortunate turn of events for him. So hopefully, hopefully. Now let's talk about Seabock's role in the cleanup process, what he did and the cover-up. You won't believe this. He actually made a trip to Dollar General to get his hands on some essential cleaning supplies. Now we're talking about bleach, mops, things like that. But here's the twist. After purchasing these items, he vanished. He vanished from the scene and he never returned. Now, if any of you out there know what happened or do you have any additional information regarding Seabox's action to the crime, we urge you to come forward. Or any anything about any individuals about this crime or Ashley's crime. Your contribution could be the missing piece that could crack this case wide open. Unfortunately, our search records and our searches uh, related to Seabock hasn't revealed anything else significant so far. Introducing Michael Church, a 27-year-old whose presence in the criminal world sent shockwaves through our justice system. With a mere nine months spent behind bars, Church's record includes unnerving charges such as evidence tampering, abuse of a corpse, and possession of criminal tools. His involvement was in the bone-chilling act of removing the concealed body of Kylie from a seemingly innocent couch to the bed of that truck. To truly understand the chaos that unfolded that fateful day, I highly recommend immersing yourself in the Statement of Facts for Ohio versus Adams. This jaw-dropping document is readily available in the Files section of our exclusive Facebook group. It paints a vivid picture of how Kylie's fractured body accidentally tumbled into the porch as Church and his accomplices made a hasty exit through the back door. I'm telling you all about this graphic incident so it serves as a haunting reminder of the consequences when the worlds of drugs and bad decisions collide. Now it's worth noting that Church's criminal history doesn't seem to include any additional cover-up attempts. Surprisingly, his rap sheet primarily consists of, oh, just minor traffic violations. It is a curious contrast to the acts he found himself entangled in that night. How did someone with such a seemingly quiet past get caught up in such a nightmarish ordeal? Well, we have no further follow-up information for you. So let's move on. Tiffany Lewis. Well, she seems to be a woman with quite a past. She was sentenced to nine months in the slammer for some serious offenses. Let me break it down for you. Tiffany was caught red-handed tampering with evidence, obstructing justice, and possessing criminal tools. In a rather disturbing turn of events, she was actually involved in cleaning up a crime scene. What's even more shocking is that she utilized supplies from her very own van, which had already been linked to another criminal incident in the past. If you'd like more details about that, make sure to dive into the intriguing case known as State versus James Bailey. That'll give you all the specifics. Let's not forget to mention that Tiffany isn't exactly a stranger to the wrong side of the law. Before getting caught up in the latest episode of the murder cover-up, Tiffany had just been released from the city jail that day. 
Why had she been imprisoned for, you ask? Well, drug charges and probation violations. We're talking about misdemeanors here, but, you know, still it adds up to big matters. Despite her troubled background, it's crucial to note that her rap sheet only consists of nonviolent misdemeanors, and we have no further details follow up for Tiffany. In our next update, we bring you to the case of Georgia Hamilton, a 33-year-old woman who's found herself facing the consequences of obstructing justice. You won't believe the lengths she went in order to hide and to aid a fugitive. Hamilton was right in the thick of it, folks. She was a part of the individuals who lent a helping hand to that man, offering him rides, hiding him, and providing other forms of assistance while he was on the run from the law. Can you imagine the nerve? And this is supposed to be your girl. Now, before this incident, Hamilton had mostly found herself in trouble for things like evictions and traffic violations. But it seems that it started in 2018 because her criminal record took a darker turn. That's when drug charges, criminal trespassing, and even petty theft began to populate her rap sheet. And see, that's a troubling trend. We here at the podcast team were wanting to get a hold of Hamilton's side of the story to uncover what led her down this path of illegal activity. I could not find anything, but on the day that I started taping, I was listening to the scanner, and lo and behold, I heard Georgia Hamilton. That's all I heard was her name for a minute. So uh, I reached out to a source, couple sources of mine and was told that she was in Noble County Jail, and this was just a couple weeks ago, and she was in there on charges of illegal conveyance. I don't know what that is, so help me out, folks. Uh, leave it in the comments or come join us on the Facebook group. Can, what, what, that could mean anything. Is it drugs or could it mean other stuff? I don't know what that is. Help us out. So now, um, so that's what we have now that she is facing those charges. I'm sure she's probably already been to court by now. So we will follow up on that. We'll say uh, follow up with that on the Facebook group. So now let's move on to Tina Gross. Now she had a crucial part in this gripping case. Gross bravely tackled the challenge of getting rid of the murder weapon. Can you believe it? She boldly made her way to the crime scene before it was burnt. I mean, just within hours of the murder. Snatched the gun and made it disappear. But here's the twist. Instead of facing charges for, like, tampering with evidence and, you know, things like that. No, Gross ended up with a one-year prison sentence for drug offense. Now, that was just an unexpected twist. It's worth mentioning that apart from minor traffic violation and some misdemeanors in her past, I couldn't find anything to update on Gross. So, uh, in this twisted tale, let's go on to talk about Olivia Davis, who is a 24-year-old woman who found herself entangled with Adams through their shared child. But it wasn't just the connection of blood that bound them together. Davis had a significant role that she played in her acts that unfolded before our eyes, if you remember in the story, uh, the second episode. As the story unraveled, it became clear that Davis wasn't simply an innocent bystander. Oh, no. She provided transportation and even purchased the gasoline for the chilling arson, leaving little doubt that she had full knowledge of the plan. Her involvement was shocking, to say the least. But she was also one of the killer's, quote, girls. 
So in my pursuit to uncover the truth, I reached out to Davis for an interview. And although she started out and she declined, I managed to exchange a small series of text messages with her. It was intriguing to hear her side of the story because she proclaimed herself to be a good person who had unknowingly fallen for the wrong individual. She adamantly denied any involvement in drug use herself and expressed her frustration that the media's misrepresentation of her character. So eager to shed light on her version of events, I encouraged Davis to set the record straight during our conversation that day. Unfortunately, she refused. We had only can hope that moving forward, she finds her way out of that so-called twilight zone she finds herself trapped in. But it's worth mentioning that apart from a couple misdemeanors related to the cover-up, Olivia's criminal record has been relatively clean. But I see by her very public social media posts, she does like that type of man. I see gang signs being thrown and the ink is everywhere it's recognizable. This just adds another layer of complexity to her character. And it leaves us wondering how much seemingly an ordinary person can be fought, can become involved in such a macabre crime. So let's continue with James C. Williams, who was just 23 years old, finding himself on the wrong side of the law. He ended up facing a two-year sentence for being involved in the cover-up. What exactly was he up to? Well, Williams was charged with some pretty serious crimes, including complicity to tampering with evidence, obstructing justice, and even participating in criminal gang. Now, here's where things get a little interesting. Despite all the information available about Williams and his escapades, the current whereabouts of, of him is it's just unknown. It remains unknown. I cannot find him anywhere. Um, he had, his criminal career is just misdemeanors. Uh, so I guess maybe this was just a short-lived journey on the dark side for him. I hope it was just a short span, and I hope he's managed to to uh, get himself on the right track. Let's dive into the tale of Jasmine Poljak, a mysterious figure who played a pivotal role in this Adams case. Now, let me paint you a picture of the startling evidence uncovered during this investigation. A photograph was discovered on Pollock's phone of her and Adams laying in the hotel room. This photo depicted them together. I personally think it created a sense of disgust surrounding their relationship. What was the nature of that, of that condition? What was the nature of their connection? Did she take pride in that involvement? Well, hold on, because there's more. In a chilling wiretap conversation that was done in Morgan County, Jack was overheard mentioning that the need to, quote, eliminate someone who had disrespected the gang. Now, this snippet of dialogue sent shivers down the spines of investigators, potentially suggesting a much darker side to her character. And this is all documented. This is all public knowledge. And this can be found on our Facebook group in the files section. It's under Ohio versus Adams. All of this information is in there. As the investigation unfolded, Poljack found herself facing the consequences of her actions. She was ultimately sentenced to three years in prison and charged with obstructing justice. 
It seems like her past involvement had caught up with her and justice was served. However, as with the tales of true crime, there are still unanswered questions. What happened after she completed her sentence? Well, we don't know because this elusive female seems to have vanished in thin air. Despite our best efforts, our attempts to like, locate her have proven fruitless. She could have been moved into protection, I guess, witness protection. But to add another layer, it's worth noting that she had relatively had a clean background, a clean record prior to her involvement with Adams. What led her down this treacherous path? What other secrets could she be hiding? What might she know, right? What might she know? All right, let's move on. We've got John Kemp, a 64-year-old who recently wrapped up a three-year stint behind bars. But what landed him there, you ask? Well, it turns out he had his hands deep in Kylie's murder case, tampering with evidence, attempting to engage in corrupt activity, and possessing criminal tools were just a few of his charges he faced. And if that wasn't enough, he even had to kiss goodbye to a whopping 32 rental properties he owned here in the city of Zanesville. Talk about a rough time for old John. Well, we failed to make contact with him, and we don't know if he's still in the area or not, but we're reaching out. We're trying to find If you guys know anything, please reach out to us. So let's continue to our next character, who is Paul Bill. This 52-year-old fella found himself on the wrong side of the law as well. He served a four-year sentence for obstructing justice. You see, Paul played a not-so-innocent role in destroying a very property where poor Kylie was murdered. March and early April were a nightmare for everyone involved, and it seems that Bill was right in the thick of it. But here's the kicker. His criminal past is nothing short of a laundry list of offenses. We're talking drug charges, constantly passing bad checks, domestic violence. Well, you name it, he's done it. And here's a little kicker. We have no idea where Bill is right now. His whereabouts and activities remain a mystery. I did see where it could have been him that moved to California, then Minnesota, but the last address was last year in North Carolina. So if you have any information, hit us up, let us know. And we really wish all of these people well, and we're hoping and praying that they are on the right track. Uh, some of them, as we already know, aren't. And this is why we were updating everybody. All right, folks, let's go on. We've got Kelly Jo Dunkel, who is a 32-year-old woman who recently bid farewell to Sunny Skies and traded them in for a five-year stint behind bars. Well, what landed her there? Let's just say she's not exactly a model citizen. Known for her drug dealing and connections with the infamous real writers, Dunkel played a major role in hiding Adams from the law. She not only provided him with drugs to continue keeping in that stupor, but also helped him get around town. And if that wasn't enough, she racked up a whopping 10 charges over her criminal years. She's got a rap sheet. It's colorful. So let's move on to our next character, Larry Hamilton. Oh, boy. This 22-year-old troublemaker is currently serving a solid six years in the slammer. Now, Hamilton does also have a long list of charges to his name. We're talking about possession of drugs, obstruction of justice, 
tampering with evidence, abuse of a corpse, and even engaging in corrupt acts. Hamilton played a pivotal role in the cover-up, acting as the go-to guy after Gross' member destroyed the weapon. He also arranged for a truck to move the poor victim's body and was even involved in setting up a drug deal for Adams during all of this. Oh, and get this. Hamilton's got over 13 charges in his file, including being connected in the world of dogfighting. It's sickening. It's a sickening sight to see, especially knowing that these women are involved, too. With that, I mean, they have these charges of dog abuse and dog fighting. The women have charges also. The women are out there doing this. You know, I mean, as a dog lover and an owner myself, that hits close to home. And this thing with the double R's, because it's a thing with them, because several other gang members have dog charges, too. Fighting, dog fighting charges, it just makes me sick. So, anyways, back to Hamilton. This guy's record, uh, it's like the greatest of hits of violence. Charges with ranging from assault, criminal damages, and petty theft. Well, right now, he's cooling his heels at the Warren Correctional Facility in Lebanon, Ohio. His parole eligibility date is for April 23rd next year. Unfortunately for him, his recent parole board hearing was shot down. Looks like he's going to be stuck behind bars for just a little while longer. So we have his infractions report from the Warren Corrections Institute there where he's currently being housed. And we will have that on our Facebook group because Hamilton has over 40 pages of charges. Not 40 charges, 40 pages of charges. I mean, buckle up because it's crazy. And Next, we're going to, let's just go on. Next, we're diving into the twisted stories of Eric Gernick and Henry Saxton. Now, these guys aren't your average law-abiding assistants. No. They've got a long list of crimes under their belts. Okay, first, Henry Saxton, or Hank, as they called him. This 54-year-old dude is no stranger to the wrong side of the law. His rap sheet is a long list of criminal records and criminal charges, including aggravated arson and tampering with evidence. But his involvement in the tale of this tragedy goes even deeper. Saxon was right in the heart of action, inside in an upstairs bedroom when poor Kylie was shot. But instead of doing the right thing, again, he helped to conceal her body by providing the very sleeping bag that would become her burial shroud. Chilling, isn't it? But Saxon's dark deeds didn't end there. He lent a helping hand in moving Kylie's lifeless body from the house to the park truck. And if all of that wasn't enough to send shivers down your spine, Saxon helped dig the shallow grave and he's the one who did set the fire to the crime scene on the Ridge Avenue house. It's unclear what what really fueled his horrifying actions, whether it was drugs or just a twisted sense of, I don't know, loyalty. He told me in a phone conversation, it was meth. He told me it was the drugs. Well, thankfully, Saxon's reign of terror came to a halt just two days after the murder when he was apprehended. But let's not forget about his extensive criminal record packed to the brim with charges like multiple drug offenses, criminal trespassings galore, petty theft, assault, a domestic violence, criminal damages, and even receiving stolen property. Yes, 
Right now, Saxon is serving his sentence at the Chillicothe Correctional Institution with an expected release date or parole eligibility in 2026. Now, I got in touch with Saxon, just like I've been doing with all the other people involved in this case. He actually replied. It's not every day that you get a reply from a response from someone involved in a crime like this, right? So Saxon talked, and he admitted right off the very beginning to everything he did. According to him, right after Adams killed Kylie and the police started banging on the door, they all found themselves together hiding in the bathroom upstairs. Adams supposedly claimed that it was all an accident. Yes, folks, Adams was scared shitless, and he said it was an accident. Of course, we'll never really know, because he's a liar. Adams is a liar. Adams is a murderer, so, you know, we can't really say. We don't know, but that was right after. And also, there is another source that backed us up. One of my sources said that Adams himself told this person it was an accident. So, Saxon didn't just brush off his own actions that night. He didn't. He took responsibility on our phone call. But he did mention some factors that influenced his behavior. He blamed his prolonged use of meth and the devastating loss of his son during the Iraq War. Now, I can't emphasize with Saxon here. I had many moments in my life where I've used my past traumas or abuse as excuses for bad behavior. But now losing a child, that's, that's a pain that I can't even fathom. I pray I never experience. But Sasslin insists that he's off the drugs now as and he's in prison. And he wants to come back to Zanesville once he's released. He said he has family here. So I ask you about Ashley's murder, Ashley Johnson's murder. Well, Saxon claims he has no information about it. According to him, he only became a double R after Kylie's killing and the fire at the house uh, when he covered up the evidence. He did admit to helping dispose of Kylie's body, which is truly horrifying. So, there you have it. Saxon's story just adds another layer to this case. Will his claims hold true? Well, only time will tell. But this guy's crimes also will leave a lasting mark, not only on Kylie and her loved ones, but on our community, too. All right, folks, let me introduce you to a Brandy Edmondson, a 24-year-old female with a seriously dark side. She is currently doing time behind bars for her involvement in the chilling murder case here. Brace yourself. This one's going to send shivers down your spine also. Edmondson was no innocent bystander when the murder went down. She was right there, standing right next to Adam's when he took poor Carly's life. But Edmondson was no innocent bystander when the murder went down. She was right there, right there standing next to Adams when he took poor Kylie's life. But instead of doing the right thing again, she could have done that. Here's the, you know, the fifth, fourth, sixth person that could have done the right thing and seek justice. But instead, she went down a twisted path of deceit and cover up. She didn't have Kylie's back, did she? Well, she didn't waste a minute or a set. She didn't waste. Well, she didn't waste a second when it came to hiding the murder weapon and weaving a web of lies to keep the truth locked away. Edmondson took an active role in cleaning up the crime scene and became Adams' right-hand accomplice throughout the intense cover-up operation. 
Before this gruesome incident, Edmondson rap sheet was relatively clean, with just a few minor traffic offenses. But just four months prior to the murder, she couldn't resist the temptation of shoplifting from Pick and Save, which is a grocery chain here, which landed her a brief stint in the city jail. So Edmondson is serving right now, serving her sentence for the Kylie Nundell cover-up at the Ohio Reformatory for Women in Marysville. Her list of charges includes tampering with evidence, obstructing justice, possessing criminal tools, perjury, and engaging in corrupt acts. According to the current information available, she's looking at a potential release date or parole eligibility set for around June 29th, 2029. Now, it's just hard to fathom the death of darkness that can exist within somebody like Edmondson. Well, I've written to Edmondson also, but we haven't received a reply yet. Alrighty, folks, on down the list here is uh, Let's Meet Eric Gurnick. This 30-year-old landed himself a seven-year sentence for crimes, including tampering with evidence, abuse of a corpse, possessing criminal tools, and being part of a criminal gang. But it's the events surrounding that fateful night that truly will give you goosebumps. Picture this. Gurnick was right there, also in an upstairs bedroom, when poor Kylie met her tragic end at the hands of Adams. But Gurnick wasn't just an innocent bystander. Oh, no. He had his own role to play in the gang. He was their major drug dealer, keeping everyone hooked and dangling on the strings. Now, when it all went down, Gurnick thought he was being sly by hiding the murder weapon in another part of the house. After Edmondson already hit it, he re-hit it. But little did he know, the truth has a way of finding its way out, doesn't it, folks? Well, to make matters worse, this guy rounded up everyone's cell phones that night, making sure no one could dare snitch on the gang. And if that wasn't enough, Gurnick was later contacted by Gross, who had disposed of that uh, that murder weapon. She disposed of it. Well, instead of doing the right thing, she could have done the right thing. Nope, she acted in the cover-up operation. Um, but instead of doing the right thing, he actively participated in the cover-up operation. He helped move the body, participated in the barrel. He was knee-deep in this web of deceit. He was right there. But that's not all. Gurnick even attempted to set fire to the trap house first, hoping to leave no trace behind. But sadly for him, his plans went up in smoke. Quite literally, he couldn't get it to burn. He has reached out to me. He has re reacted back to me. He said he was interested in talking to me. But him and Saxton both want me to get to on this go, get out, messaging, email, whatever thing, you how you do it these days. But... I politely refused, even though it might seem cheaper in the long run. I'm on a tight budget, and good old-fashioned letter writing is going to have to be okay with them. Um, we did receive his infractions report. Uh, that will be in our file section, like I said, on our awesome Facebook group. So now Gurnick finds himself behind bars. He's at the Noble Correctional Institution with an expected release date or parole eligibility set for September 24th, 2024, next year. And if you thought Gurnick's story was spine-chilling, wait until you hear about another accomplice that night, Wesley Dingus. A 30-year-old with an addiction for ink, too. Dingus found himself 
facing a jaw-dropping 25-year sentence for array of crimes. We're talking tampering with evidence, possession criminal tools, abusing a corpse, complicity to aggravated arson, and engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity. Now, Din just earned the terrifying nickname of Tattoo Guy, and he had a fierce devotion to Adams, and their wicked plans were nothing short of disturbing folks. After the fatal shooting, Din just heartlessly helped hide Kylie's lifeless body in a cramped closet. And I'm hoping it's haunting his nightmares forever. But that wasn't the end of it. Din just had a meticulous precision when it came to the dark's task at hand. He played a major role in relocating and disposing of Kylie remains, making sure her final resting place would never be discovered. Din just is another individual I reached out to, of course, and once again, I was surprised to get a letter back. It was short, and it was to the point. He thanked me, and he said he would like to do his time and asked me not to contact of him again about this matter. Now, I only wrote that, uh, him that I was looking into Ashley Johnson's murder and that her name crossed with Kylie's, and that's how I got his name. I further explained that I was only doing a Where Are They Now show, and I'd like to see how he was doing. So that's when he said that he had lost a good friend that night, and he regrets what he did, and he wants to move on. So I'm thinking, okay, whatever. You know, I can't make a person talk. So I just, whatever. Yeah, I don't, quite honestly, I can't afford to keep writing somebody and sinking money into postage for him just to toss it. So whatever, you know, but listen to this. It's it's so funny. It just so happened that the day I received uh, his letter, I got his infractions from the prison. The infractions are, um, you know, uh, bad marks, you know. uh, He's getting in trouble. I, uh, he has a whopping 60 pages of infractions, folks. 60. He's the winner so far. 60. Um, there, they will be in our Facebook group file section for you to look over. And the explanation of the incidents are explained also. Now, uh, Dendris resides within the walls of the Ross Correctional Institute in Chillicothe, Ohio. I pray that with each passing day, he thinks about the devastating repercussions of actions. He says, you know, that he wants to do his time and he had, uh, Kylie was a good friend and then all this, but all his infractions and, you know, 60 pages of just in five years. Um, that doesn't, to me, that speaks volumes. That speaks volumes. All right. Um, now, Jen just, like I said, he resides there at Chillicothe. Um, I'm sure he yearns for a glimpse of freedom, right? I'm sure he does. Well, his expected release date or parole eligibility is going to be July 2nd in the year 2038. So it's going to be a minute. And last and least, yes, is Ryan Adams. The convicted murderer is locked away in Toledo Correctional Institution. This guy was a hit with a long list of charges, including murder, tampering with evidence, possession of criminal tools, and, of course, abuse of a corpse. Now, Adams won't be seeing the light of day for a long time. He's got a maximum of 33 years to be served before parole eligibility rolls around. With his expected release date falling on April 8th, 20, 
51, the year 2051. It's always been reported that he got a life sentence, but it didn't because it says, as a matter of fact, he's recently, recently got wind that he was in town. And I'm guessing it has to do with the murder case because a couple other people that I wrote to that's been involved, they have been in court too. So I'm just wondering if they're getting their cases reheard, uh, reheard. Um, but we'll, we'll be watching this. We'll, we'll be keeping an eye on it. We're just thinking to seize off the streets, right? He actually had a previous stint in prison for beating a woman, serving a solid six years for that crime. Well, like I said, it's just a a relief knowing that he won't be wrecking havoc anytime soon. Now, I'm not saying anything more about Adams. I don't think we, I think we do know all we need to know about him. I don't want to glorify him or his actions. Uh, I also received his infractions report, and it was surprising, only one page. I think there may have been a dozen infractions in the last five years. Again, you can see that on our Facebook group, Death, Lies, and Alibis. So, uh, folks, let's not forget why we're here, though. We need to keep Ashley Johnson um, at the forefront of our minds. Her story deserves justice. With every step we take in unraveling this treacherous web, we get closer to it. Now, it can be a real challenge to find out info on information on those who played smaller roles in this complex story, but let's don't estim- underestimate their importance, okay? They can hold crucial clues or connections that could bring us closer to the truth. Anybody knows anything, it's important. So let's keep our eyes peeled and our ears open, because even the tiniest piece of information can change in the course of this investigation. That's the exciting part. It's not too late. It's not too late. In fact, we've got an update for y'all. We received a tip from a source who knows several individuals involved in this case. This tip suggests an ulterior theory, an alternate theory, excuse me, about Ashley's assault. Ashley Johnson's murder, okay? The night of her murder, Kylie's actions weren't normal. Okay, here we go with Ashley and Kylie. Kylie was supposed to meet her boys for dinner, a dinner date. Now, that's something she would never miss yet. That night, she did miss that dinner date. Kylie did. The night that Ashley was murdered. And another source, a very good source so far, shared that Kylie was way more important to Adams than that $50 that he supposedly shot her over. Which is true. That makes such good sense. He had her whole check, plus the drugs she was pushing, and the sex she was selling for him. He had all that walking right there, alive. So this source explains that it could be, possibly, Kylie became an informant for the cops. I've heard this from two people. Two people told me that Kylie was going to turn on Adams for her beating. It was around the time she got hospitalized. Remember that? Adams beating her up. He wouldn't let her go. He wouldn't let her get clean. She was trying. Now just think back. Think back when Kylie was in the Genesis Hospital calling the cops for help. She actually did that. That's documented. Then think of what Sheriff Lutz said in his own words in an interview to us. They don't have resources for people trying to get out of gangs. They don't have any use for it. People don't come to them and say they want to get out of gangs. All I can think is for Kylie. That's what the woman was facing. An evil monster waiting outside that hospital, being Adams, or cops who in no way 
had could could protect her. She had to absolutely be terrified. Allegedly, the week before her murder, she was hiding from him, scared, terrified. So was Ashley from a very, very good source that knows Ashley told me, Ashley told this person she was scared somebody was going to kill her. These two women knew they were going to die before they died. They knew it. And what they have in common? They had that gang. They had drugs. They had atoms. Another theory suggests that a female gang member, somebody decided to take matters into her own hands, or the Adams made ordered a female gang member to beat up Ashley for something, potentially going too far with that assault. Now, to cover the the murder up that went to that wasn't supposed to be a murder, just an assault. To cover that up, their actions, they made it look and staged like it was an overdose. So many people tell me. So many people have come to me telling me it was an intentional overdose. Somebody intentionally overdosed her. I don't know. But we do have to entertain all the tips that come in. We have to go down. We have to listen. Because we were told that these women, almost anybody would do anything at that time for atoms and for drugs. So it's important to note that these theories do lack concrete evidence at this moment, at this time. But rest assured, we're on it. We're currently digging deeper, conducting further investigations to gather more information and verify theories' credibility. That's what we're doing. We won't stop until we uncover the truth. Okay, so listen up. Here's another theory we've got that will leave us with more questions. But picture this. Okay, we got a heated argument between Ashley and her husband, Oki, that night. So intense that the neighbors ended up calling the police on them. This is fact. This is all true. But wait, here's the twist. The police never showed up. Strange, right? Well, not so much around here. No, not so much. Now, that cold March evening, Ashley was probably looking and doing her drugs and she was doing them in her backyard shed when suddenly tragedy struck. But here's the red flags that pop up. Listen, her husband, Oki, reportedly didn't check on her for over 12 hours. Are you serious? Can you believe it? I mean, what on earth, who on earth neglects to see if their loved one is okay, especially on a freezing night like this? And let me tell you, he's a big drug user, so I'm sure he knew if she was using, and if she was, he'd be right up her butt. He know, I mean, trust me, when I was using, you just know when somebody has it, you know when somebody's using, you're right there, you don't want to miss out. And I'm sure he was. Now, the details raise some serious eyebrows, right? We've got a couple playing out a stormy domestic scene. Neighbors are expressing concern. Concern enough, they call the cops. That's... Where they lived, that was a big concern. If it was so out of control that they called the cops there, it had to be a big one. And a husband who allegedly fails to provide any basic level of care and attention, that's just such a recipe for suspicion and questions, right? But let's not jump to conclusions just yet. This is a tough case because with it still being an open case, Officials can't talk and they won't talk and we can't have access to any records or any documents like we just did with Kylie's 
case. We don't do we do not have do not have any of that. That limits us tremendously. Now I know this sounds like something out of a gripping crime novel, right? But folks, this is real life. I knew Ashley. We've got a perplexing murder on our hands. And we won't rest until they unearth the truth hidden. Okay. Thoughts on this. What if Adams did hear Kylie was going to wear a wire? And yes, that was what I was told. She was going to wear a wire. So he finds out, kills her, but tells everyone it was an accident. I don't know if he's that smart. What if Kylie was in charge of Ashley's beating? You know, just like kicking her butt, just kicking her ass for some something stupid she did. And again, it went wrong. So then Adams had to take out the loose end, which was Kylie. We do, again, we explore every tip. And I'm just putting these out here to you guys as we know them. We do try to go down every rabbit hole, just poke it. Um, we can't have tunnel vision on this. Okay, we can't. But I can't release all my tips. I can't release all my information. I do have some things I have to keep close to my chest right now. But what do you think? What do you know? Come join us on our Facebook group, Death, Lies, and Alibis, where we'll be discuss this case and we'll be posting all kinds of information and material for you to do your own research and for you to go over. You can also email us at death, lies, alibis at gmail.com. Okay, folks, we've reached the conclusion of another gripping episode. This community is our home. It's where we live, where our families reside, and where we feel a profound sense of responsibility to keep it safe. We refuse to turn a blind eye to any wrongdoing. Nope. In our quests, we lean on each other for support and protection. We understand that standing united is the key to safeguarding what we hold dear. So, dear listeners, let's stick together in this journey. We commit to the victims and to their families to never stop seeking the truth, no matter how deep the darkness may be. So, please, folks, listen out there, okay? Just be safe. And thanks for listening.